Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Coronavirus in Africa Updates, uh, where we share and discuss facts, reports, and personal stories concerning COVID-19 in Africa and how the continent is tackling this global trip. My name is Usagi Alonge, and I am always with, in isolation, uh, Jivola Law. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to be back, as always. It's... And it's very... It's very important to um, clarify when I, when I say I'm um, in isolation with Jivola is not by my side. He's far away, <laughs> you know, in another in another you know uh, undisclosed uh, location. Yeah, I I believe you're in Lagos, Jivola. I could be, if you'd like me to. Yeah, I think I think you're in Lagos. I think you're in Lagos, and we have a we have a guest. On this episode again, yep. um, Jibola, would you like to introduce our guest? Oh yes, of course. Um, so today we're we're going to be exploring a little bit of alternative approaches to, to what are the different ways that um, different um, geographical entities have tackled the pandemic response. We know in Africa, from Nigeria to Ghana to South Africa to Rwanda the default response has been to to lock down um but we've had different uh different approaches from the really really strong lockdown approaches in in china that uh that uh how do we say that played a lot with people's rights to privacy right and then on the other end of the spectrum we had the swedish response where there isn't that much of a lockdown. Um, of course, there were there there were social distancing approaches, and what are the kinds of results that we are to expect? And of course, in focus is New Zealand, and which is why we have Chris Newsom with us. Welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, good afternoon. Yeah. So, um, Chris, Chris is. Should I just go ahead and introduce Chris? Yes, please. Okay. So Chris is from New Zealand. He works as a program advisor at the Stakeholder Democracy Network here in Nigeria. Okay. Osage, over to you. Great, Chris. And uh, Chris is currently in Nigeria. Um, Chris, how are you enjoying Nigeria? Um, it's, it's all right. Everywhere, I think it doesn't matter where you are in the world at the moment, everyone's feeling some stress from, from COVID-19. I, I, I totally agree. Um, yeah. I guess some parts of the world started to feel, you know, that, that stress before other parts. But I think everybody's awakening now. Um, if you switch on your TV, all they're talking about on the news, especially international media, is COVID-19. And um, you know, you know various different you know subtopics from that. Whether it's uh, we're looking for drugs to treat it, or you know we're seeing spikes in some of the countries, and you know other other similar similar stories. Um, let's just jump straight into it, like we do. We always like yeah. to talk about the stats um, across the world, and we drill into Africa, then drill into Nigeria. So as of now, um, the total number of infections stands at. 3,274,747, total number of deaths, um, 200,000, 
and total recovered stands about at about a million. Um, cases in Africa, total number of infected, 39,142. Total number of deaths, 12,665. And total recovered, 1,626. Drilling into Nigeria, total number of infected, 1,932. Total number of deaths, 58. Um, and total recovered 319. Um, across Africa, looking at the other countries, um, in South Africa, um, total number of infected has increased to 5,647. 5, um, Jubala, from the last time we had our conversation, there has been an increase of about 1,000. Yeah. Um, in yeah. Egypt, we have five... Yeah. In Egypt, we have 5,537, also of about 1,000 new cases. In Algeria, um, it's about 500 new cases, so it's uh, at about 4,006. In Morocco, it's 4,529, about 500 new cases. In Cameroon, about um, 200 new cases, so it's about 1,832. In Ghana... 2000 with 500 new cases and we have a new entry um which is guinea <laughs> with um, 1495 right cases. so guinea kind of displaced ivory coast there yes if i believe so yeah they did yes. and they are so right that's behind what we stand, nigeria that's where we stand right as far now as the number of cases go Yeah, I mean, Chris, um, do you think there's any peculiarity? It's this. Um, I have a question for Chris. I'm listening. Yeah, yeah, go. Yeah, do you think there's any? Do you think? Um, have you seen any kind of patterns here with um, the countries in Africa and the increased number of cases, or the countries with the highest number of cases? Do you see any pattern here? Do you see any peculiarities? Um, I'm. I'm not enough of a, a statistician to to give you a lot of feedback on uh, on countries across Africa. And to be honest, uh, um, I haven't yeah. been looking beyond basic headlines. The the two things caught my eye, which which may or may not uh, um, be topical. Um, one is that yeah. um, when cases started increasing in nigeria they also started increasing in south africa at about the same time and, and those are two countries with quite a significant number of people overseas and quite a number of people who returned around about the same time uh, um, and so that one the two things i would say is that different countries run at different paces according to um, what happened with the big triggers uh, for their country and and so you shouldn't assume that on a particular given day comparing one country to another necessarily will tell you that much um, and hmm. and also things will diverge further because different countries have have locked down or not locked down in, in different ways and then testing across the rate of testing across Africa creates a ceiling on 
how many cases are being reported because if you don't have the capacity for for massive testing then it's just inevitable that you're going to be missing quite a number of cases great 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 feedback um jimala what what do you think you were going yeah to say i something mean earlier. yeah I, I was i was going to say that um i echo i echo chris's thoughts and the that's for me, any number I see is severely tempered or, or, or um, yeah, any number I see is severely tempered with, tempered with a pinch of salt because I'm looking at the numbers and, I'm, and the unspoken question is how much do we not see um, the increase in cases per week? Is it, is it not just a tip of the iceberg? So it's... And for me, it also it also kind of um, tempers my response to the the numbers and the information coming as well, because then if you can't rely on the underlying data, then how can you truly make real postulations? So yeah, but I mean, the numbers are increasing. It's I don't think it's um it's it's inspiring for want of a better expression but yeah we can just watch helplessly as the slow moving train crashes i, I think there's one thing that um might be important to get across okay um and that is that um uh there's there's a degree of alarm that sets in whenever new cases come up in in Nigeria and I think in most countries. But one of the humps that I think people need to get over is to accept that in any country um, there's a significant number of cases that are established. And and therefore what you should be looking for is um, is two things. One is that uh, your testing is actually catching a significant number of those cases and some evidence on whether they're catching them early because really what's fundamental is the extent of community transmission that you've got and whether you're getting on top of mm -hmm. that or not depending on what your aim is um, and I think we could get a lot further into things but there's also a really big need to understand what country you're in and what it is that you're aiming for uh, um, and if aiming for zero is your game and you've got a pathway to that great but if you're in a state that hasn't done much testing and all of a sudden you've got some results because people have started testing that shouldn't be a cause for alarm that should be a cause for reassurance that your state is finally engaging with this issue properly well Amazing. said chris well said um so i it would I, I guess you know what you guys just discussed would lead me to my question and that's um, we're moving into what's in the news now so it's been reported that um, in Africa, there's been a 52% increase in the number of confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the African region in the past week. Would this mean that we've ramped up testing or does this mean that 
the number of cases are so many that even though we've not wrapped up ramped up testing we we are just experiencing the, the, so many cases i don't know if you get what i mean yeah i get uh, so chris what are your thoughts on that okay i'm gonna keep it really short so um in short um both things can be true at once so uh um to give you examples rather than a definitive thing there's no question that nigeria has gone through a painful process to get there but you're you're slowly ramping up testing so you're increasing testing and you're targeting it um and then it's clear that in lagos um uh fct sort of has got question marks and and kano you've got a significant number of cases um, and and you've got a, a significant amount of uh, community transmission. Um, it takes time to figure out exactly how much of that you've got. And so one of the things to keep in view is um, where things seem confusing, uh, countries that um, are have much more sophisticated health systems and uh, have been in the early days of their own uh, uh, corona cases equally confused. So unfortunately, there's no perfect picture at this stage in things. It's it's one where it, it, it takes time for it to become clearer. And by becoming clearer, I believe the only solution as we've said before just now, is we need to ramp up testing. And not just ramp up testing, but as fast as possible, right? So you want to catch people in their maybe first three days if they're infected and not in the first two weeks to limit the spread of the infection, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. Because, again, as I said in previous episodes, it's, it's a case where we're dealing with an unseen enemy and you want to as with the war you want to know exactly where you are being attacked from and um in the in the context of this conversation isolate and treat and limit the spread to those areas to those communities to those people that's pretty much it okay um also in the news um, Gilead Sciences reporting promising early results in COVID-19 trial using rem, Remdesivir. Yeah, so, Remdesivir. Um, yeah. Um, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, Remdesivir is an antiviral, and I believe it's it, it was one of the anti. It's a it's um it's an ARV targeted at HIV, so. It was one of the first couple of um, therapies that were explored in in China, um, along with along with um, chloroquine. I believe it's phosphate. It was it was flagged up in early um, study preprints that oh you know what so studies from France and from China as well showed them as promising. Uh, therapies now gilead sciences is an american company and they've applied for um testing for renders to be focused 
for for use in treating um, COVID-19. So where we are now is that they've they've gotten past this next phase of trials and they are showing promising results. Now in this phase of trials, what we'll try to be ascertain is so you have um to you have a group of subjects and then you test the therapy with them of course as compared with a um with controlled your test your test populations and your controlled populations so this would then they would then now be looking for okay so how quickly do people recover on remdesivir and how how slowly do people recover off remdesivir so the next phase of testing would then now look at um the what is the recovery rate and then of course is it what are the um the the drawbacks and the um what's that thing called now and the side effects so them getting this kind of promising results yeah it's good the the testing cycles should become shorter so that we can get people using the therapy as quickly as possible. And on a local front, Madagascar um, has vowed to change the history of the world as it carries out tests on mystery plants it claims can cure coronavirus. <laughs> So you yeah. know, their president um, sent a letter claiming Madagascar has the remedy. He says the test on the plant-based cure were being lined up across the country. The country has extended its state of emergency, admit rising cases of the virus. Um, well, what are your own thoughts on that, Jibs? Yeah, um, so the thing is, the, the news about it is very, very careful to outline the progression of events. The, yeah. The, yeah, so he actually got a letter, right? That look, we have a remedy. Now, my problem with that is they haven't even completed testing with the remedy that they say they have. And he's already promising heaven and earth. It's it's interesting. Um I really hope they come up with something good because I mean it would be it would be decent to have that kind of good news from out of Africa because then it's it's like since it's herbal, it's something it's likely to be something that is accessible to a whole bunch of people at once, and it's one of the keys to globally getting to um, navigate out of the crisis we're in. It's what what is the availability of the therapies for treatment, and how quickly can we get it to the most people in the shortest possible time? It's the same. Um, kind of um, logistical uh, abstract. I'm sorry, the same kind of logistical complication that we'll face with vaccination at whatever point that we are even able to get a viable vaccine. So it would be good if it, it works and it is, but I'm not holding my breath, unfortunately. Not because it's it's African, but because of the handling of the information if they are tested with their people first and they are mm -hmm. done randomized controlled and and trials then there's there's nothing to say please take our money give us the drug <laughs> okay um 
South Africa, Rwanda, Cameroon are gradually easing their coronavirus lockdown. In a few days as well, um, Lagos and some other cities will be doing the same. Um, of, obviously, this lockdown, you know, have have um, resulted into you know um, a dip in economic performance across these countries, and we've discussed about this previously in previous you know um, episodes where yeah. you know we talked about okay easing the lockdown and then um, you know and for so, so, somewhat enforcing. Um, the use of face masks. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've also shared our fears, right? That with the ease of a lockdown, there would definitely be a spike in the number of cases because what we are experiencing right now is a lot of community transmission. I'd like to hear from you guys what you guys think about that and if you can, you know, vaguely postulate what the result of an ease of lockdown would be in the coming weeks yeah chris why your thoughts so um first of all i don't think any country wants to go back into a lockdown having come out of it but that's one of the risks that has been flagged um uh for other parts of the world and and certainly one where other countries have have stumbled um What I'd say on managing that risk um, is that when you're easing lockdowns, it doesn't matter what country you're in, there is no one thing that is a a lockdown unless you're um, taking a lockdown to mean absolutely zero movement. Um, And so uh, um, the UK's eventual lockdown was pretty hard, but not the hardest. Uh, New Zealand had a a lockdown that I think you'd probably call severe, where um, you name it and and you couldn't do it. Um, For Nigeria, where you're easing this lockdown, what what really matters is behaviour around things that were there both before and after the lockdown. So are you really taking social distancing seriously? are you minimizing your your contact with with other people? These are all individual behaviors and so um, how government communicates is is going to be really important um, and um, uh, on the use of face masks they're not a magic bullet so um, where they are being used are they being used well and then the the biggie that goes with that is, What's going on with your with your testing, and what's your plan for handling cases as they they come up? Um, one simple thing, though, is that as you get more movement, there's more risk, and the bigger the movement, the more complicated it is. If you're pursuing a strategy that includes um, contact tracing, and that that will be one reason why choices have been made about continuing to ban most interstate travel and continuing to ban flights. Uh, um, but exactly what happens next is, is really going to depend a lot on, on how far um, government can persuade people to moderate their behaviour.
Thanks, Chris. That's quite interesting. Uh, my follow-up question would be, and and and, and I, it's, I I guess it's pretty difficult to give straight answers because we're not the government, you know. But say, take for example, there's country X who eases the lockdown, and within a week or two weeks, um, because they are testing well, they see a sharp increase or a sharp spike. What would you think would be their immediate response to that? Um, well, I can I can give you Singapore as an example because that's uh, um, that's basically what happened in Singapore, where um, initially they had a spike, they got on top of that, they thought they were in control of things, and then they had a major breakout in in what's politically a blind spot for Singapore, which is their what's known as their dormitories, where they have migrant workers. Um, staying in, in densely packed conditions. Um, and so they went from a phase where they were beginning to ease off to uh, one where I can't remember the specifics, but I think they, they it was cause for them to sort of go much harder on the control of everything. Uh, and they're, they're just sort of getting over their second hump now if things go well for them. And, and it's still there's still like an if question there. Hmm, interesting. Um, Jibala, any thoughts from you? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> going in, going rather going out of a lockdown. Is it is it likely that would go back into another one? It would it would again depend on the kind the quality of the decisions that our government makes, um, the level of panic that um that that increasing cases and of course increasing um, deaths that people can identify will create. Uh, so far, with what we've seen with the Nigerian government response, it's been it's it's been almost reactive. In that, um, so a lockdown happened. There was a little, there was some silence as to how the the people who couldn't afford to um, stock up their homes prior to the lockdown how they were faring and then of course there were palliative measures even those measures weren't um how do you say they weren't sufficient enough and then of course uh, four weeks into the said lockdown the furor was loud enough that uh, there was conversation around easing off and which is what we're seeing now so i can't i won't put my money on on the thought or the idea that uh, there wouldn't be another lockdown, at least in the Nigerian context. Um, as far as Ghana goes or South Africa, it remains to be seen in all honesty. Um, but that there won't be a spike will be dependent on a whole bunch of factors, including people continuing to um, practice those habits that are supposed to have been learned during this lockdown. So social distancing, um, using the masks and um, making good decisions really with respect to interacting with other people. So yeah, fingers crossed. 
Yeah, thanks, Vola. I think, you know, Chris yeah, mentioned something. He said, um, you know, other than just easing a lockdown, what are the things we do around it, right? And two things yeah. I picked up from there was, you know, really encouraging social distancing and using the face mask properly. Um, in the last few days, I'm, I'm currently in Lagos, and in the last few days, I have seen an increase of use of masks, um, a lot of um, cloth masks, you know, in um, the area I stay. So I go for some walks, and I'm masked up myself and i see more and more people and i'm and more people you know in in the rural areas right so mm-hmm. um a lot of below the line and i see a lot of them actually using um face masks can it be better obviously yes <clears throat> and talking about face masks right you did a thread on twitter recently where you yes. talked about creating sort of a symbol mm, yes that you can use to um guide people something yes. that can be buried into the minds of people subliminally, but then yes. they would, it would inspire action and, yes. um, or inspire them to carry out actions like using the face mask properly. Can you, yes. you know, expatiate on that? Yeah. Okay. So the, the bulk of my thought at the time was around the idea that while there's, there's a lot of, there seems to be quite a bit of, of awareness, the, that awareness is not matched with actual real actionable information by the people. So everybody knows there's a coro out there. Um, it's the reason for the lockdown. A lot of people know that it's it's a disease. They know people are likely to die from it, but there isn't that much else. Even the use of masks pr- probably comes from a place or a place of oh, we should use masks. So for me, in in um, pouring out those thoughts, I wanted to find a way to, um, outside of, of not, not, not outside of official channels, but to augment the current um, channels of getting the word out to the people who matter. Because my, my thoughts were around the idea that Twitter is an echo chamber and it's a very, very small echo chamber. There aren't 10 million Twitter users in Nigeria, unfortunately. And of course, there's 180 million Nigerians. And that's, that's really, really small. Now, if we're able to get the, oh, let's use masks conversation, let's socially distance um, conversation amongst ourselves, what is the guarantee that would be able to do that with the larger audience. So that was what informed the thinking around and um, composing my thoughts like that. And for me, it was it was in observing how viral uh, internet comedy has become over the last maybe two three years. On the one mm-hmm. hand, the power of quickly composed and quickly shared messages across our messaging platforms from WhatsApp to facebook messenger and i've spent the last couple of weeks putting out fires amongst my older family members with fake news right from from conversations about um when exactly a certain um member of of the of the nigerian cabinet passed away to um Mm -hmm. the proposed cures for for coronavirus. So getting those lessons from there, I I saw and compared with what I already learned and know of from um, mimetic philosophy and mimetic theory and 
how we can grab those lessons and apply them to try and get the word out. The word out about what exactly? The word out about mask usage and social distancing. So that was I said, oh, you know what? The most popular meme around um, the last couple of months has been the Egungu, be careful, right? You have people mm-hmm. from from Canada, from um, Jamaica, from all across Europe and Asia, dancing to a song that is probably 25 years old now. And it's, it's, it's spread across social media like wildfire. So it's a, it's a, it's a meme that is easy to access. It's in recent memory. So I'm saying let's build on that and get people to challenge other people in, in the way that we did with, um, ah, crap, the ALS challenge, right? The ice bucket challenge. So let's get people to challenge other people using the Egongo Be Careful, right? And then get them to wear their masks on video. Um, let's make funny skits about it. Let's dance to whatever, wearing a mask and tagging everybody. And in that way, we're mimicking the behavior of the virus to spread information about the virus to help Nigerians make better decisions to protect themselves against the virus. That's pretty much um, the entire thrust of of that thread. Well, like we've always said uh, that, you know, um, certain people listen to our podcast. Hopefully they listen to this uh, uh, <laughs> and, and they pick up from that concept. And they pick up. Hopefully. Like we don't even mind. You don't even need to give us credit. Just do it. It's free game. It's free game. It's free game. Yeah. Okay. So we, we got Chris here on the podcast for a reason. So Jibala, I'm going to leave yep. you. Well, I'm here, but um, I, I yeah. want you to really dig in deep with Chris okay. and um, what he, what he's done, and um, you know, mm-hmm. using uh, New Zealand as um, a case study, and yes. to see how we can then take some of those learnings and those examples and and you know deploy them. And in apply. Africa. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So, Chris. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so I read a National Geographic um, article this morning, and the title went, "New Zealand has effectively eliminated coronavirus." Here's what we can learn from that. Do you think the NZ has truly been able to conquer COVID-19? If you if you think so, why? If you don't, why? Okay. So it's fairly simple, but um, to answer that, but you do need to be careful. So um, Mm -hmm. when you say you're eliminating a disease, particularly uh, um, one like a a coronavirus, um, you've got to keep in mind that there have been rare cases of um, people who effectively um, have had the virus reappear so they've already been infected there's talk of them being reinfected but it looks more like they're they're ones where the virus has been more suppressed than eliminated um but then if you look at what is it that new zealand's achieved um they they've tracked down case after case to the point where um for about the last 10 days they've had less than um uh, 10 cases per day and every time I look they know exactly what those cases relate to so they're relating to an existing cluster um, they're relatives of a case yesterday was two cases so 
there are still cases going on, but they are um, uh, um, they're the consequences of what has already happened. Uh, um, there are still people in hospital, so there's still scope for someone to get infected within that environment. Uh, but no, it's, it's in the in the technical sense of the word. For now, it's effectively eliminated. That's true. Um, doesn't mean there's zero risk, but they're they're in a pretty good place. Uh, that's <clears throat> that's so amazing to hear, and I imagine that you must be proud to know this, even though you're not at home at the moment. No, it's I I think it's pretty remarkable because the mm -hmm. the thing is, although New Zealand's a small country, it has a lot. It has a really yes. highly mobile population, and it has a lot of tourists. Um, and incidentally, a lot from China. So there were, there were several risks for New Zealand. Now, on the surface of it, New Zealand looks like a country that had a moderate number of cases and stamped on it. Uh, but that moderate number of cases peaked at about 1,100. So about, we actually had them earlier, uh, more than Nigeria's had so far in terms of what's on the record. Uh, but that's in a population of 5 million people. So if you mm -hmm. extrapolate it out in a simplistic fashion um, to, the, to a country the size of New Zealand, New Zealand's had the equivalent of like 40,000 cases in a country of Nigeria's size. In Nigeria. And travelled that so, sort yeah. of peak down to zero. So that that's the remarkable bit. But I think the there are a couple of things. One, uh, um, uh, they've navigated a really tricky situation really well, but they're, they're getting spotlighted a bit where there are other countries that deserve um, enormous credit as well and and, uh, um, and and may have lessons that are as topical or more topical. So the two in my mind are Vietnam and Taiwan, but particularly Vietnam, but both relatively frontline countries, both with a lot of interaction with China. Um, and both of them followed um, different techniques to New Zealand, but the, the one thing they had in common was that in terms of what they could see in terms of cases coming their way, um, as they saw them, they, they took the opportunity to go and, and react as proactively as they could very, very early on. And Vietnam, having been through this problem with earlier epidemics, went incredibly early on everything. That's amazing. So now, in particular, can you walk us through what you know of the New Zealand approach to their pandemic response? Sure. So the New Zealand approach was one where uh, it started with some cautious moves pretty early on. Um, in terms of countries that were on Western radars, New Zealand and Israel were tracking each other in some ways where out of the blue, while, while other countries were still allowing a lot of movement, um, Israel slapped a, a 14 days quarantine for anyone coming into the country. Uh, um, New Zealand followed that shortly afterwards, where it wasn't a 
enforced quarantine uh, in the sense that you you had to stay in a particular hotel, but it was a mandatory stay at home for 14 days very early on, which for a country that relied on tourism was a huge move. It was basically a kiss of death to the tourism industry. Um, and then uh, um, in the space of about two days, the, the government went through an escalation uh, uh, where they, they saw a particular set of risks coming and, and they'd made some decisions where they decided that in their case, they were going to target elimination, which is a radical decision compared to a lot of other countries. And to achieve that, they knew that they had to, to bite on things early. So although I think the country had something like 30 cases on the records, they went into a national lockdown when the, no, it may have been higher than 30, but the, the, they went into a national lockdown um, at a level where it was a very, very low number compared to others. And that lockdown was uh, um, much harder than you've seen in other places. So... Uh, no restaurants doing deliveries, no courier services, no um, mm -hmm. online uh, activity that's going to lead to things coming your way. Basically, everybody goes home and, and you lock down hard. Um, that's tough on the economy. It's, it's like all of lockdowns have been tough, but this, 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 this is, is, has been a particularly blunt approach to things. But the other thing that they did um, uh, from day one, which was, went, was that they went really big on communications in a way that people could relate to it. So they found ways to package okay. the measures that they were taking. Um, when they were in the lockdown, they, they required people to stay in what they called bubbles. So you go to your house and you've got a group of people that you're staying with and you don't interact with people outside of that bubble. Uh, and uh. part of the design was to keep those bubbles very small and it was particularly designed to keep people who are more at risk isolated from others. Uh, and mm. they're still using that bubble concept to explain to people how to manage risk as they go. Um, and, and I think that's been one of the, the other big issues for New Zealand is, is explaining explaining what people need to do in a way that people can understand. Okay. So, I mean, you've described a very, very austere um, approach to locking down. Can you share with us what you think the... Um, what informed such a hardline approach to locking down? Um, yeah, I think it's very simple. Um, I think from early on, they had a very precise understanding of how contagious COVID-19 is, or rather the coronavirus. Okay. Um, and so uh, they, they made a call that if they're really going to aim for zero and try to get there quickly, then... Um, nearly all interaction needs to stop. And, and the, um, the one exception they made was for people to do two things. One, to do light exercise around their neighborhood. Uh, 
um, and two, um, to be able to go out and do shopping twice a week. Um, and that's it. Uh, but it's, it's important that, to note that they made those exceptions and they also made some very clear decisions about what to keep going. So although they had a national lockdown, uh, um, uh, uh, they, they kept the food supply chain moving. Um, and the other thing that they did that might surprise people is that they continued to allow a very limited number of domestic flights for, for essential services. Um, but those... What? Okay, essential services. For essential services. So the, okay. the point is those flights were often flying with 5, 10, 15 people or less. Um, but they, they had a very clear picture in terms of, of what were essential things to, to keep the country moving as well. Okay, amazing. Um, wow. Okay, so I imagine that at some point there would have been some pushback from certain quarters. If there was, what groups were these and how was the government able to handle that kind of pushback? Um, so this is me commenting on politics from far away, but I think there are some basic headlines. Okay. Um, there's been a little pushback, um, but I think as a commun communications exercise and one where once this choice had been made, the government showed commitment to it and there was a public commitment to it, there's been remarkably little pushback. There's been quite a lot of controversy around people when they've broken the rules. Um, and there have been some occasional surprises. So the um, the health minister has had to has been demoted in New Zealand because during the lockdown Whoa. period uh, he drove his family about twenty miles down the road to a beach to do their daily exercise. And and um, although you and I could sit there and go, well, that's not that unsafe. It's like it was well outside the rules that everyone else were having to follow. Um, yeah. But yeah. then um, the political consequences in New Zealand, this is only one poll that I just glanced at this morning. It's been remarkable. So the the last time I looked sort of three or four months ago, the, the two major parties in New Zealand were basically neck and neck with it looking a bit worrying for the government in terms of how they find their way back, especially as they were in a coalition. Um, there's a poll a day or two ago where the government is sitting on 55% and the lead opposition party is under 30. That that probably says all you need to say about how it's worked politically. For Whoa. Them. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah. It's, it's one... That's interesting. It's one... Where right now uh, you're beginning to deal with the economic fallout, and and you don't want to understate mm -hmm. the the size of that uh, um, fallout. There's so many people looking Fallouts. around, and, and although there's a lot of activity in terms of supporting businesses, um, mm -hmm. uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are going to know whether they've still got a job. And there's a whole industry that's kind of dead in the water. So the tourist industry 
is just mm -hmm. in oh my god territory where the path back to them <laughs> is long but not impossible yeah mm -hmm. um uh relating that back to nigeria um I think the important thing yes. is Nigeria is a perfect example of a country where you can learn some things, um, for example, on on how to do really good quality health communications, uh, uh, on rigor when you're doing your analysis. But uh, New okay. Zealand also play the, to the hand that it has. So it's a country that is surrounded by water it's three hours flying time away from the um uh the nearest major country it's properly isolated so if you want to control your borders you really can uh, uh it's got a bunch of particular economic vulnerabilities that make you reluctant to do things uh it's also and and, and so that that has influences but um uh um, it's also got a strong public health system uh, and a small population that makes it a little bit easier to turn the ship if you're if you're making an abrupt turn. So um, in many ways Nigeria is sort of facing many of the opposite of those circumstances uh, and and so, you've got choices that simply aren't available to you or if you're implementing the same policy you know that it's going to be a much leakier boat in terms of managing it so for example nigeria's got complicated borders to manage mm -hmm. um uh, mm -hmm. it's got the northeast it's got uh um, the cameroon border so if you were to wake up mm -hmm. tomorrow and, and as nigeria has it said its borders are closed it's just not that simple for Nigeria compared to New Zealand. Uh, um, and then the cost of things. Testing doesn't come for free. Ramping up testing doesn't come for free. Um, so if you're talking about a testing strategy that looks forward a year, uh, um, a country like New Zealand's relatively well positioned to, to sort of face that. Um, country with 200 million people and and limited income um, particularly oil crashing the the numbers for costs are going to look really sobering um, so I I think careful about translating things um, uh, being realistic about where you stand now so that you're taking pathways that are practical but I think uh, uh, if you were to look at New Zealand and Vietnam together as places to learn from uh, I think you'd be making a pretty good start. Um, and then the other thing is, what have those two countries got in common? Um, relative to their national income, they've invested in their health services, but also they've invested in their response. So one of my big issues is um, Nigeria is throwing billions and billions of Naira uh, at COVID-19 response, at economy this, economy that. Um, how much is it thro really throwing at uh, NCDC? Um, I doubt very many people could name a number, and if they could, whether they're in the right ballpark. How much is it that states are passing True. on to their ministries of health to actually execute the things that need to happen on the ground? Because everybody hears mm. NCDC every day. NCDC is actually a relatively small organisation. 
what makes or breaks mm. what happens on the ground is state ministries of health with support from various bodies. That's very true. That's that's very very true, um, Chris. And I, I I believe it's um it's a question of of a lot of people not knowing how Nigerian governance works. A a couple a whole bunch of the things that people believe the government should be doing are actually things that the state governments should be doing, from health to primary education and so forth. Um, so to, to wrap it all up, Chris, given the insights that you have into the responses into both Nigeria being on ground and seeing everything that is happening and the New Zealand response, what would your quick and dirty recommendations be right now to turn the ship around? Um, so I wouldn't try and turn the ship around. I would, I would say um, follow the... Follow the people who've got real depth in this game. Um, there's a reason why um, uh, internationally experts have got confidence in, in NCDC. Um, uh, but I would say pay attention to the, the, the fundamentals in terms of balancing the, the game. So for me, I've got worries about lightning reducing a lockdown early. But the, the biggest worries for me is actually food security. Uh, um, some of the things that have been announced in the past few days are saying the right thing on on food and agricultural products, but I want to see the evidence that those things are being implemented, so that the people that are being asked to go on lockdown um, are actually sure that they can go to the market and buy food at a reasonable price. Mm -hmm. It's fantastic that you've got people throwing palliative measures around, but um, a friend reminded us all of the definition of palliatives. It's it's a thing that uh, um, uh, um, relieves the symptoms briefly without addressing the underlying cause. Uh, the underlying symptoms, and, yeah. um, sorry, cause. And so, the stability of food markets, the giving people confidence that if they've got a truckload of tomatoes in in Joss, that they can actually reach their market without harassment. Um, and making sure there's ways to um, uh, do that um, that don't create more risks. So it's not like uh, transporting food across the country comes with zero risks. Um, uh, now, um, the the last thing I would throw on the on the lessons pile um, is for um, for states to really step up, uh, um, for the federal government to be supportive about that, some states may actually need resources sent their way. But uh, um, I'm seeing states that um, have ministries of health that are working incredibly hard, and and states that are ready to spend big money on uh, on flashy things, but not on what makes their, their response from their Ministry of Health work. And then states that are simply not testing uh, um, in any sort of functional way. Um, those, those things need to change because for Nigeria as a whole, this is a, a weakest link issue where 
one week length basically makes it very, very hard for the rest of the country to, to pull through. Amazing. Um, so, Asagi, over to you. I don't know if you have any other questions. Um, I, I was going to ask for, I mean, I was going to ask your last question, and, and I guess you asked it already, and Chris kind of broke it down. I just wanted a summary on what were like the most important things we would, you know, um, start to focus on. And he's, he's pretty much answered it. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Um, you have brought a lot of wealth of experience and um, you've given us, you've even given us some insights that we weren't looking at before, which sure. we'll start to explore. And I think that's why, you know, you have experts actually, you know, in the helm of affairs here, um, people who can, you know, see things clearer than we, because they have been on both sides or they also have a history of, you know, um, understanding how things work, whether it's in a pandemic or how, you know, economics work. So, Chris, thank you so much for joining us on, on the podcast, on this episode. Um, guys, you've heard it. Chris, you want to say something? No, I'm good. I was just going to say thank you guys, too. It's been really, really interesting. Yeah, please stay, stay safe. Um, we heard quite a lot of background noise. We hope you're staying safe and... Uh, um you know when do you have a mask on sorry what was that do, do you have a mask on right now i mean um, did you have a mask on before you started recording? so that's a good point um uh i'm i'm sitting about two meters away from one person and so uh right now no i don't but i'm actually just in and out of the shops so i've got a mask right by my side mm -hmm. and again um, it's a, it's a tricky thing to manage. It's, it's like taking masks on, taking masks off. It's like, uh, you, you've got the, <laughs> um, either have soap and water handy or, uh, um, uh, um, or sanitizer or become, all becomes a bit of a fig leaf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, please do stay safe. Um, again, thanks. Thank you guys for joining us in this episode. Yeah, um, please remember, remember to send us your comments and personal coronavirus stories. It's fanmail at covid19 in Africa info, fanmail at covid19 in Africa info. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We will see you on another episode. Thanks so much. Bye bye.